about family, because that's fun, right? Um, I was told by probably 15 or 20 of you in the last week that um, there was a heated conversation about loading the dishwasher that happened after service last week. If you were here, I, I said, I went out on a limb thinking that maybe my family was the only one that had had some disagreements about how to properly load the dishwasher. And it turns out, no, that's, that's a really common thing. So we're not going to talk about loading the dishwasher today. We're just going to leave more hostile conversations for another time. So um, we're going to talk about something really, really fun today, and that is busyness, um, which is no big deal, right? It's not a thing for anybody. Um, That was sarcasm. You were kind of looking at me like a crazy person. No, I, I know that we should talk about busyness because if I ask you how you're doing, a very normal and response that I would think nothing about would be, we're really busy. And I would just noddingly know my head, right? If I told you, you asked me, how are you doing? And I said, man, we're just really busy. You'd be like, yeah, I get it. There's no like, we think that's a very appropriate answer to that question. And we don't ever stop and think, well, why would anybody not be busy? But what we're gonna look at is that maybe busyness um, is not so good for us. And I don't think that's really a stretch or something that you need to be convinced of a lot. But we're going to look at what does God's word have to say to us about the subject of busyness. And this is a part of our series where we're looking at the family tree. And specifically, we're looking at two different family trees and how those might influence our immediate family today. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil all the way back in Genesis 3. That is the tree that Adam and Eve ate from that brought sin and brokenness into our world. And the other is the tree of Jesus Christ, the cross upon which he hung. And both of those, I think, show up in our lives in different ways. And and depending on your family, maybe depending on the day of the week, those trees show themselves in different amounts. And we want to look at what are the dynamics that happen in our families, which ones are influenced by which tree. And there is a disturbing amount of our lives, of our realities as families, that we have inherited from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that we have inherited from a fallen condition, right? And what entered the world, we call it sin, but it was so much more than a word that has a definition, Right? What, what sin brought into our world was a, a broken or disfigured relationship with a perfect and holy God. We as humans created in his image, we were made in perfect relationship with him, with each other. Once we took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that relationship was broken. It was damaged. And we have spent all of existence from that moment trying to work our way back into perfect relationship with a perfect, holy, and loving God. We're not very good at it, right? Over and over and over we try and we fail. And so we're looking at different ways that we try to work ourselves back into right standing or a righteous place with God and how those play themselves out in our families. And busyness, believe it or not, is one of those things that we do. Busyness is an expression of that brokenness, of us trying to work our way back into right standing with God, to work our way out of our sinful condition. And so for the rest of our time, I want us to look at the reality of busyness, why we are so busy, 
right? And if we can look at why we're busy, then maybe we can ask what does that do to our families? And then let's ask, what does God have to say about busyness? What might Jesus speak to busyness? Can Jesus do anything with busyness? So the first question, why are we busy? For simplicity, I think there are three buckets that a whole bunch of busyness can fit in. Right? The first one is that we are trying to measure up to our own standard of righteousness. Right? And so, like I said, we've been trying to work our way back into right standing with God ever since the Garden of Eden. And, and, and we have our own standard of what God is looking for in a person. We have our own stand, standard for what makes someone good. What makes us worthy of being in a relationship with God? What makes us worthy of being celebrated and feel like we're perfect? And so in that standard is a bunch of different criteria that you have that's different from what I have. Everybody's got a different set. But in your mind, there is what the right thing to do is. There is what makes somebody good. There is what makes life good. There is the, the thing that is the goal of being a person. And so much of how we try to meet that standard makes us busy. And why is that? Because busy makes us feel accomplished, right? Busyness makes us feel productive. It makes us feel not lazy. If you were to ask yourself at the end of the day, what did I do today? If you couldn't rattle off several things or if someone asked you, what'd you do today? If you couldn't tell them really cool, impressive things, you would say it's maybe not a good day. It wasn't a great day because you weren't productive. You weren't very busy, right? Our definition of success, whatever that is, in your mind, your definition of success, it requires busyness in some form, right? And so whether that is becoming a taxi service that drives children all over town to every destination imaginable, you spend your whole day in, in a, a van or an SUV so that you can get everybody from one spot to the next, and that's what makes you a good person, or, or you will take extra shifts, you will work crazy hours, you won't have a day off, you, you will do whatever it takes to, to measure up to this standard of what you think success looks like. Right? Life has to be full of activities. When we look at our calendar, there has to be something written every day. Your survival guide for summer is to have five things written down on the calendar that everybody's going to do every day to keep us busy because that's what good people do. That's what successful people do. Right? If you, when was the last time you saw a, a movie or a TV show where the protagonist who is portrayed as successful took a nap? Yeah, it didn't happen. There's nobody that, that we see portrayed as successful that says, man, I just got a lot of free time right now, and so I'm not really filling it up. I'm just trying to soak in life. That, that's not what comes to our minds when we think about success, right? Whatever our standard is, maybe our standard is relational, and the value is being seen with certain people or in certain places, Right, it's relational or social, and so if I can be the kind of person that's associated with these people, that makes me a really good person. If I'm the kind of person that can be at these places or afford to be at these places or has the time to be at these places or can go to these places, that makes me a good person, the person that I want to be. And so we'll do anything to get to that place. Right? We think our, our worth is found in being able to do everything. Right? Maybe that's your standard of success is I can do everything. 
And so my superpower is that I never have to say no to anything, right? And in order for me to do everything, I, I get really, really busy. Or maybe, this is a sneaky one, busyness comes out of our desire to control everything. Because our standard of what is good is a very specific good. And everything has to look that way. And if it doesn't, we don't measure up. And so the only way to make sure that everything looks the way that I think it should is if I control it. To let somebody else do it means it might not be done as well as I would want it to be done or it might not be done in the way that I would do it. And so in order to stay on top of all of that, I have to be very, very, very busy. Again, like last week, I'm using first-person pronouns just as much as second this week because this is not something that I have all figured out. Right? Our family is crazy busy, unhealthy busy. We spend time talking about how do we get not so busy. I get it. There's no finger pointing in all of this. But it is real. It's very, very real, and we have to talk about it. Right? That's the first reason that, that we're busy. We're trying to meet our own standards of righteousness. The second reason that we're busy is because we're trying to meet other people's standards of righteousness. Right? And so these are things that other people have told us, that they've said, this is what I value, this is what makes somebody good, and so we're going to live up to that. Or it's something that nobody has said to us, but we think that's what they want to see, and so we're going to do everything we can to meet those expectations. And we're going to work our tail ends off doing whatever it takes to be the kind of person that other people deem as good if that's what we have in our minds decided makes us a good person. If I can get everybody to approve of me, if I can get these people to approve of me, then it will be enough, and so I'm going to do whatever it takes for these people to think I'm good. And so I will bend over backwards doing whatever makes me the image of what people want to see. And actually, in our culture, not just on an individual level, but a cultural value we have is busyness. We like people who are busy. We value people who are busy. We think that people who look busy are people who look good, right? You just have to scroll through Instagram and see all the pictures of all the things that everybody else in your life is doing that are so much cooler and better and more productive than all the things that you do. We celebrate people who are exhausted. We like being tired because that means that we have done a good job. That's the sort of thing that other people would be proud of. If we're saving anything in the tank, we're not really giving it everything we could. Um, there, there's an author that I read this week in talking about business, Barbara Taylor Brown. She, she writes, it does seem to me that at least some of us have made an idol of exhaustion. The only time we know we've done enough is when we're running on empty and when the ones we love the most are the ones we see the least. That resonate with anyone? Right? That's when I know I've done a good job. When I don't have anything left to give. When I've told the kids for eight hours straight, hang on, I'll get to it in a minute. Because there's just so many things that need to be done so that I can be the person that everybody wants me to be. 
right? Whatever they think is impressive, whatever, whatever status symbol that is, is it, is it a car, is it a membership somewhere, is it a vacation that we get to take, is it, is it a house that we live in, is it, is it the people that we get to hang out with, the places that we go, whatever that is, if that's what they deem as good and I need to have their approval, I will meet that. That might push me to work a job that I don't want to work or has no margin in it because we've got to continue this lifestyle that is way outside of our means and if I, I, I were to make a change, we're in trouble. Right? We also, we don't want to disappoint anyone. And so we say yes to everything. Right? It, it, I, anybody in here have trouble saying no? I said no to five things this week and it killed me every single time. I had, I had to work up the nerve to make phone calls to say no because I hate saying no so much. No is like the worst word to possibly say. We don't want to disappoint anyone, and so we say yes to everything. And in the process, we run ourselves ragged. But if, anybody think, if everybody can think that we're amazing, if everybody can finally think that we're the most awesome, then we will have arrived and it will all be worth it. And so we fill ourselves with busyness. We don't just want people to think we're awesome. We, we don't want to feel any guilt or shame or judgment from other people. And so it's not just about being awesome, but it's about making sure that people don't think we're terrible, right? We're, we, we gotta buy the right sunscreen so we don't get mom shamed by the internet. We're so concerned with making sure we meet the approval of everyone else. Third reason, we are trying to measure up to God's standards of righteousness. Right, we're trying to meet our own standards, we're trying to meet everybody else's standards, and we're trying to meet God's standards. And for a lot of us, we believe that God does have a, a expectation of us that requires a lot of effort Right? And maybe it's not just God, but maybe church plays into that. Right? And I'll say that as the pastor carefully. <laughs> but, but it's not just enough to go to church. We need to serve, and we need to be in a life group, and we need to help make the event happen, and we need extra volunteers for this thing, and we want you to be involved with four nonprofits in the city, and we want you to sit on the board of something, and, and you need to be invested in every good cause that ever happened because... That's what Jesus would want. And if you can just get yourself here at the church building or in somebody's house doing a church thing every night of the week, that's what God really wants. And you can't say no to God. Right when the church asks you, you can't say no because it's God asking you, and, and we shouldn't ever say no to God because God has an expectation that we will be people who are not lazy. God needs his people to work. Maybe we wouldn't come out and say it just like that, but I think if we were to examine our hearts, that's not too far off. We spend a lot of time trying to please Ourselves, We spend a lot of time trying to please other people, and we spend a lot of time trying to please God. What does that do to our families? It doesn't do good things to our families. 
Again, I don't know that you needed a lot of convincing to get on board. Right? When we are busy, we're not good families. Because what happens when we're busy is that we stop being a team. We're we're no longer a team working together towards a common mission. We are people with individual agendas trying to make that agenda happen. Everybody has competing needs. When we are busy, when everybody's busy, when there's, when there's sports, when there's band, when there's uh, work, when there's volunteer efforts, when there's social plans, when, when we've got all that going, there's this pie of our family, and we've just got to figure out how do we slice it up in the least disappointing way possible. Because everybody has their thing that needs to happen. And it doesn't matter whether they happen at the same time or different times. We, we can be busy every night of the week. Um, we can make sure that every weekend is full of something that helps somebody get to the thing that they want because we've all got the stuff that has to happen. And we're not thinking about us as a team. We're not thinking about what we want to do. We're just trying to think, how do I survive all of these things that I have said yes to that I want to do to please myself, others, or God? A family that is busy is a family that is full of stress, of chaos, is full of instability, full of exhaustion, right? And if I were to ask you if you are stressed, chaotic, instable, exhausted, how many of you are saying that's my best self, right? Add hunger to that list and it's a really bad day. That's not a fun way to live. It is not a thriving life. We might be able to survive it for a while, but we definitely won't thrive. We, we, as humans, we thrive when we have margin in our lives. We thrive when we are in healthy relationships. When we pull up our calendars, white space, in between things, That's where we do our best. Not just emotionally or relationally, like mentally, we we need brain breaks. We need moments where we can be bored, where we can ponder things, where, where a screen is not right in front of our face. We need margins so that we can recharge. When we're busy, our margins are destroyed. Busyness loves to suck up every little bit of white space on the calendar. It loves to look at the month and say, how can we fill up every single weekend with a million things to do? How can we take away any moment to just breathe? And when we don't have margins, our relationships stop being based on how we're doing and it's more based on what we're doing. Right? Conversation around the dinner table, if we have dinner together, becomes about what'd you do today, right? What happened? Give me the Cliff's notes because we don't have a lot of time. And, and as long as I can go through the checklist and know what happened in your day, that's as best as we can hope for. I don't get to ask the questions, how are you doing? How are you processing that? Right? I, I, we do best when we're not just finding out what's on your calendar, but rather, how do you feel about your calendar right now? Are you underwater? Why? What's giving you life right now? What's sucking your life away right now? What's causing stress? What's taking away your sleep? 
what's going on with the kids? What, why, why is he mad at us all the time? And maybe he's just 14. But when we're busy, we don't get to stop and ask that because we're just trying to get to the next thing. And at some point in five years, we'll be able to sit down and talk about it. Right? It's just a season. Hang on for another five years and we'll be good. That's not how we were made to operate as families. And when we're busy out of this desire to make ourselves happy, measure up to the standards that we've given ourselves, when we're trying to measure up to the standards that we think other people have of us, and the standards that God has for us, and we live our lives in a way that we will do anything to meet those standards, we are passing on to our family members that fulfillment in life is found by meeting the expectations of other people or yourself or God. But I don't know that that's what Jesus would say we find fulfillment in. Right? We can agree. We're busy. We know why we're busy. And we know it's not good for us. What does Jesus have to say about busyness? How does Jesus affect busyness? Jesus is the guy who said things like, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Jesus, in Mark, Luke, and Matthew, refers to himself not just as Lord of the harvest, but he's also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of rest. Jesus says in John 10, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I don't think that when Jesus said have life to the full, he meant a life full of things. A life full of appointments. A life full of errands. A life full of matches, games, programs. I think he meant an abundant thriving, flourishing life in which we can love God completely and love each other. I read that, Jesus doesn't sound like a fan of busyness. He doesn't sound like a busy guy, yet Jesus did a lot. Jesus did plenty of things. The thing is, Jesus didn't do things in busyness. Right? And there's a difference. God is not a God of busyness. That doesn't mean he is a God of laziness. God is pro-work. God likes work. He is a creator who works, who commanded his creation to work. Work is not something that is a result of the fall. Work is a gift from God given to us. It's not a bad thing. But work... Being productive is different than being busy. And God is not busy. If we read the account in Genesis 1 going into Genesis 2 of our creation, of our initial relationship with God, we see on day 6, and maybe you remember that, that God created man. And the first thing he says, work 
be fruitful, multiply, rule, subdue the earth. Go. That's day six. What happens on day seven? God rests. Humanity's first impression of God is not of a working God. Our story starts with rest. And I think what we see in that is that God and us have a very different relationship with work. And that's part of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which loves to twist the words of God, to add to them, to subtract from them. Take the thing that God said and make it twisted. See, God reveals himself to us as the God who has created, but the God who rests. The first thing that Adam would have seen is a God who rested, who was in relationship with him, who modeled what resting looks like, and after rest, then we work. God has a very different relationship with work and rest than we do. You see, God really values rest that he calls Sabbath. Right? And Sabbath is different than rest. Sabbath is, is this idea that we are going to pause and we are going to cease from work. And it's something that God talks to his people a pretty fair amount. It makes the Ten Commandments. Right? Remember, God's people had been led out of Egypt where they had been slaves. You know who doesn't get days off? Slaves. And so God is freeing his people from a life of working every single day, a life full of busyness at the demands of somebody else. And one of the things that God tells them to be in right relationship with him is to take a break. If you read the Ten Commandments, actually the longest commandment is the one on Sabbath. Right? Exodus 20, God tells his people, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign, foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God said, you're made in my image. Be like me. And one of the things that I do is rest. You should rest. You should have a regular rhythm to relax. To not get everything checked off the to-do list. To not control everything. Because maybe if you're not in control of everything, you'd let God be in control of everything. He designed us for Sabbath, but we are so far from Sabbath. And again, I, I say all of this not as pointing a finger, but as me lamenting with you, busyness. Right? A, a Sabbath day sounds absurd to a lot of us. It sounds almost impossible 
the idea that, that weekly, we would have 24-hour period. I don't care what day you do it on. I don't care what is relaxing to you. Some of you have weird things that make you feel relaxed, like running and whatever. Like, but, but go for it. Just, just 24 hours where you don't work, where you don't answer the email, where the phone can turn off, where, where you don't say, hang on, I've got something else that I need to do. We're just going to rest. It doesn't happen by accident. I don't know that it even happens when we're intentional about it. We definitely wouldn't say that it's like a command from God. It shouldn't make the top ten, right? Sports Center's not playing the Sabbath when it comes to things that are really important to God, except God puts it on the list. You need this. Keep the Sabbath. Like I said, it's hard, right? And this is not easy for anybody, myself included. I was reading a book in preparation for this week, and, and I'm thinking through the implications. What does a regular rhythm of rest look like? And this, another pastor, A.J. Swoboda, is the guy that wrote this book, Subversive Sabbath. And he says that as he was walking through teaching Sabbath to his church one summer, um, people didn't know how to respond to it, right? There was this, like, almost abrasiveness to it. The idea, the Sabbath, that's, no, a full day where I do nothing, you're crazy. And so he's in the middle of this series, and he says this. He says, in the midst of our Sabbath experiment, I was in a meeting with our church's financial board. Sitting there, it dawned on me that were I to cheat on my wife, I would lose my job. If I stole from the church, I would be run out of town. If I lied about the church finances, I would be in huge trouble. If I worshiped another God, I'd be removed. There are nine commandments that if I chose to break, I might lose my ministry over. But if I did not keep a Sabbath day, I would probably get a raise. Right? It's not easy for any of us. Pick your, pick your position. Pastor, mom, manager, entrepreneur, realtor. It's not easy. But God designed us needing regular rhythms of rest. He designed us to need margin. We have a problem with how we view Sabbath because it's different than God. We see Sabbath as a day off. Right? The way that we approach work and rest is that we work all week long so that we can earn a Sabbath. Except the model that God set up for us is that God gave us a Sabbath so that we could then work. And God gave us a Sabbath. We didn't earn it. The thing about the Sabbath is the same thing with everything else religion touches is that it destroys a gift, right? God has given us a gift and we don't know what to do with it. We wanna put a bunch of rules around it. We want to, to, to squeeze, we don't like free stuff. We wanna know what's it require. God doesn't require anything. He says, do this for you. It's a gift I am giving you so that you can be refueled in the exact same way that God gives us a gift of salvation that we don't know what to do with. 
He offers new life. He offers grace. He offers forgiveness. And we say, well, so what do you, what do you want? Right? How do I meet your expectations? How do I do enough to make you happy? How, how do I still make sure that everybody is okay with that? And God says, no. Stop trying to earn it. You can't earn a gift. I love you. Take it. Just say yes. Believe in me, trust me, and enjoy the gift. No strings attached. God says, take rest. Rest. Don't, don't do everything. Because I'm not looking for you to meet any expectation. Right? There is no amount of achievement. There is no level of busyness that you can maintain. There is no, no, there's no requirement. Believe. Trust me. I love you. Take me up on the gift. That's a completely different way of looking at work, of looking at rest, of looking at the rhythms of our life. The idea of putting margin into your life sounds completely impossible. Right? I understand. There's, there's the job, there's the, the side hustle, there's the laundry, the millions of piles of laundry, there's the school activities, there's, there's taking care of the kids, there's all the events, there's the fundraisers, there's the appointments, the errands, the bills that have to be paid, the expectations that I have to meet, all the things at church, all the things that make me a good person, and it's all good stuff. I know it is. I know you don't do bad things. Right? I know the kind of people you are. You don't like to give your time to bad things. Everything is good. That's why you said yes to it. But in saying yes to everything, you've allowed yourself absolutely no time to do the thing that you need to most. Love God. Love other people. Thrive. Love those people that you're closest with the most. Make time. Right? And you're saying, how do I make time? And that is such a silly notion that we're going to make time for anything. Because we don't make time. God is the one who makes time. It's not our thing. We can't make it. We can't kill it. We can't do any of the other things that, that we try to say we do with time. He's given every single one of us 168 hours in the week, and we have to steward it in a way that blesses him and blesses others. That doesn't involve being busy. So, practically, what's that look like? Because there's all the things. And all the things are still going to be there tomorrow. And, and I don't have a solution for that. There will always be a million things that need to be done. There will always be a million people that want you to do a million things. That's not going to go away. But if I really do trust in Jesus, if I really do believe he is a God that gives gifts that I cannot earn, I can free myself from so many expectations that I and others have placed on me that he did not. 
right? If I really do trust Jesus, I can have items that are not crossed off my to-do list because Jesus has done everything on my behalf that needs to be done, right? I can be free from the need for whatever status things that, that cause me to live outside of my means or that, I, that I'm trying to use to validate me or my family. Um, I, I can be free from this need to put out an image of insane busyness because I don't need the approval of everybody else. I don't have to control everything if I really trust Jesus because I say when I trust Jesus that he's going to control everything, including my life. And, and so if, if it's not done exactly the way I would do it, he's still going to be God and I'm going to be okay. If I really trust Jesus, I can reevaluate everything in my life. I can reprioritize things. Because things that used to be really, really important when I was living for the approval of somebody else or myself or what I thought God wanted, those can get moved down. Because the thing that Jesus really wants is for me to love him with my whole heart and to love others. Every single one of our priorities can be reevaluated if we really want to trust Jesus with everything. We don't have to be busy with church stuff. We don't have to be busy with insert whatever. Because Jesus isn't looking for some magic performance. He doesn't need a superhero. He knows exactly who you are. He knows what you're capable of. He loves you. He wants you to thrive. He wants the people in your life to thrive. He wants to give you a gift. Just take him up on it. Let's move from our families being places where we just try to survive while we all execute our own agendas to being places where, where we find security and rest and laughter and intimacy and support, right? Places that recharge us daily, weekly to go out and bring God's kingdom here. Right? We know that we're busy. We know it's not good for us. We know that Jesus offers a different way. So let's take him up on it. Let's be people that live in the grace of Jesus. Free of expectation of performance. Whether that's something that we've created or we think he has for us or that somebody else had, let's just... Let's just love Jesus. And let's be okay when that's not enough for somebody else that's not Jesus. Maybe you really needed to hear that today. Jesus loves you. He doesn't need you to do anything more. He doesn't need your calendar to be full. He loves you. And the only thing that he needs from you, he doesn't need anything from you. The only thing he wants for you is for you to say yes and trust him with everything. Let's be people that do that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Lord, we are, I'm sorry. We are sorry for all the ways that we just don't get this thing right. Lord, I'm sorry for all the ways that, that I have tried to earn my salvation or the way that, that we have filled our life with things that, 
don't actually bring fulfillment. Lord, may we be people that learn to trust you with every part of our lives. Jesus, would you declutter our lives? And may we find fullness in that. Jesus, I pray for anyone who has not had the courage to say yes to you yet. Whether that's because they think you're a God that wants some amazing performance that they don't think they can ever give or, or whatever the holdup is. God, may they know that there's no performance. The only thing that needs to be done has been done on a cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, thank you for being a God who gives us good gifts. Thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.